Hello and welcome to The Guest Cast, the podcast where we explore guest stories from real people and look at how even the briefest interaction with hospitality while travelling can have a profound effect on a guest's whole life. This podcast is brought to you by Touchday Digital Guidebooks. As guest happiness fanatics, we want to dig into real-life guest experiences and learn about what really makes guests happy and what doesn't, hopefully picking up some great tips for vacation rental professionals along the way. So join us each fortnight as your hosts, Andy and Tyan, chat to guests from around the globe about their travel experiences. Introducing said hosts. Hi, my name's Andy. I'm the CEO here at Touchday. We started Touchday to improve guest experiences. So having a podcast in which we get to hear from real guests is something I'm personally very excited about. Hi, friends. I'm Tyan Marsink-Hammond, and I am a vacation rental industry leader, educator, longtime host, owner, property manager, and investor, as well as the community ambassador for Touchday Digital Guidebooks. So pack your bags and get ready for this week's guest. Welcome to season two of the guest cast. I am really excited about today's guest. I want to introduce you to Joette Reedy. She is um, part of a third generation family business. It's called Happy Apples and Happy Apples is one of the three largest caramel apple producing companies in the United States. But what's also really cool about Joette is she is a long distance hiker and that's where her story is going to come from today. She has hiked thousands and thousands of miles worldwide, including the Camino Trail in Spain twice, as well as the the trail called the Way of St. Francis of Assisi in Italy. And Joette, I think you you also said you're a co-coordinator of another group. Right. I am the co-coordinator of the St. Louis chapter of the American Pilgrims on the Camino. And that's just our national chapter, our national organization, American Pilgrims on the Camino, and we support pilgrims that have walked the Camino or aspire to do so someday. And we just meet to support each other in our journeys. That's awesome. I know your story today is something to do with staying at like 37 different places, including a monastery and a convent. So I'm really interested in your experience as a through hiker, um, staying at these different places, and then how you have applied that um, to your business, as well as your new business we can talk about later. Okay. So when I decided to walk the Camino de Santiago, I decided on the traditional route. Um, It's the most common route of the Camino de Santiago, and it is called the Camino Frances, or the French route. So it starts in France at the base of the Pyrenees. We hike over the Pyrenees all the way to the west coast of Spain, ending at the cathedral in Santiago de Compostela. And um, I prepared myself physically. I prepared um, what I was going to pack in my backpack um, down to the fraction of an ounce. I researched all of my equipment, the best backpack, the best sleeping bag, the best hiking boots. So I felt very prepared physically. I felt prepared as far as my equipment went, but the thing that I had the most concern about was where I was going to sleep because we stayed in albergues along the way. And albergues are basically hostels specifically for pilgrims en route to a destination. So that's what they call the hostels along the route of the Camino de Santiago. They're called albergues. 
And that's, that's what I was the most afraid of because I heard stories of staying 150 people in one room in bunk beds lined up in close proximity. And that's not my, well, that is my style now. That wasn't my style then. So I was, I was very apprehensive of that part of it. And I was like, oh, I've, I've never shared dormitory style rooms before, but let's do this. Let's do this. So what was my greatest fear going in was what I liked the most coming out of it. And I did stay in 37 different beds during that 40 day trek that I did. Um, it wasn't until the last three nights when I actually arrived in Santiago that I stayed at what was um, a rectory. It was a um, monastery actually. Um, and since there is not as many, there aren't as many people staying in rectories now, they have turned that into pilgrim accommodations. So I did get to stay in the same bed for three nights, my last three nights in Santiago. And it was wonderful. And my favorite part of it was the community and, and getting to meet people from all over the world. And when you're staying at a nice hotel and you have your own private room and your own private bathroom and all those luxuries, it's great. But you walk out of your room through the lobby and onto whatever you're going to see that day on your vacation. You don't take the time to sit next to a stranger and introduce yourself and get to know them and get to know why they're walking and why they're there and what brought them there and what they have at home. So it's just so great to have that community um, that the hostels and the albergues bring to the table. I was struck there by the fact that you said it was, I can't remember the exact phrase, but it was something I'm paraphrasing, that it was something that you thought you would never want or like doing, but after you did it, you really liked I it. Did. The, 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 the experience of staying in this like huge hostel kind of accommodation. Um, and, and it was that together with then you talking about how you meet loads of people. Was it the meeting and the interaction, the part that you feared and then found the most enjoyable? Or was it something else that you kind of feared? I'm, I'm intrigued to know what it was about that whole thing that you were worried about. I just about. thought it would be awkward, like getting ready for bed and brushing my teeth right next to a stranger. And all that went out the window because I think it's more common maybe in European countries or in other countries. and. And a lot of times aren't, Americans aren't ready to embrace that. But once you're there and you're put in that situation and you meet these people and you find out that it's just a great way to travel and it brings a whole nother element to travel that maybe you wouldn't get otherwise. So I did, I loved it. And now even when we travel um, by ourselves and we aren't necessarily on a pilgrim trail or we're just traveling my husband and I, um, I will search out um, communal accommodations. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. Do you, do you, do you now do that? That's interesting. I, I, well, I suspect at the moment that's probably very hard so. to do, but hopefully we'll get back to that kind of thing one day soon. Um, so is the message therefore for those that um, I'm a bit like that. I'm a bit like, I'm not, I mean, I've done the hostel, but that was as a backpacker when that's what you expect. But now I'm a bit like, I'm not sure I want to do that again. Like if I was going to travel in my sort of later years, I'd almost think I'd want to kind of, you know, 
travel like a backpacker, right. but not stay in a backpacker right. place or anything like that. Um, but your yep. message is get over yourself, Andy, and you'll actually really yep. enjoy it is from what I'm hearing. I think that's a good message. And my husband is not as big of a fan of communal living as I am. But um, so when we travel together, like when we went to Rome, for example, um, I found something that was communal living, but we had our own private bedroom. So it was just the two of us in a room, but then we had the communal space where we would eat a communal breakfast and where people could join us or we could join them. And that was great. We actually, well, I actually chose an Irish monastery to stay at because my husband loves everything Irish. His ancestors are from Ireland. And I thought this will be a great way to get him to love the experience as much as I love the experience. And our very first morning when we sat down at the communal space for breakfast, um, one of the people studying at the monastery joined us. And all of a sudden, Ed lit up, my husband lit up, and they were in a conversation about Ireland and, and everything that he loved. And, you know, just sitting at a table with a guy with an Irish accent, that alone is cool. So in doing, so Joette, in doing um, this type of travel, what kind of advice would you give to hosts? Who, who enjoy the communal um, hosting and living and serving as well. What are some things that you found you loved, little details and those that you could have done without? Okay, so I feel like um, going into it, it's really good to know what is communal space and what is not communal space. So I think just having it up front you know, can you use the washer and dryer? Can you use the kitchen? Can you make a meal? Do you get to use their pots and pans? Or do they want you to just bring something in and heat it up in a microwave? So what is available to the community and what isn't? So when I would be looking for a place to sleep the next night, maybe I would be traveling with a group of pilgrim friends that I met along the way and we would decide, um, oh, there's a grocery store in that town we're staying in. Let's find a place to stay that that we can use their kitchen and their pots and pans because of course we don't travel with pots and pans. So it was just great to know going in what to expect. So one of the places that I stayed in, I looked in advance and I, I needed a long shower. I, I just really needed that time to myself in a bathroom. And on one of the reviews of this place, it said huge, beautiful bathroom. So I was like, perfect, just what I need. Well, I got there, I unpacked my backpack, reorganized, claimed my bed in the bunk room, um, took all my personal items into the big, beautiful bathroom. And indeed it was large, indeed it was beautiful, but it had the tiniest little shower stalls with curtains that didn't quite close all the way. Um, and had like just a lot of people hanging out in the open space. So not quite what I was looking for. Um, so I think just being really open and upfront with what the community communal space is and what the communal space has to offer. Wise words. It's always about making it clear. I think that's the interesting thing about um, <clears throat> what is the challenge about anything to do with independent accommodation is because there are very few um, official quality standards by official, I mean like, you know, sanctioned boards giving star ratings or something like that. It's really difficult to find something that's consistent from one to the other. That's part of the joy of these kind of independent places to stay. But it therefore does put the onus on those who are hosting 
to make sure that everything is crystal clear um, and that there are no surprises. And if anything, it's a tricky balance, but if anything, try to over, sorry, under promise and right. over deliver. And I would say um, that's a really good example of it, I think. Um, Terrific. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued about the Pyrenees as well. Sorry if I'm going a little bit off track here, but the Pyrenees, um, I, I, I never, I've never been into the Pyrenees, but my wife and I stayed um, quite near to the Pyrenees and we could see them. It looks the most dramatic kind of mountain range out there. And that must have been some really tough hiking. So did you find that the places that you were ending up staying in catered to that? Were they kind of, I mean, I'm not, talk, not talking about sort of foot massages and things like that, but I mean, I guess they, they, they had that kind of traveler in mind. Right. So my first day of hiking, starting at the base of the Pyrenees um, from Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, France, and then the first stop was Orison. And that is a little albergue that was an old farmhouse, a sheep farmer's place, I think. And he turned it into a guest house and he did a fabulous job. But since it is so isolated right in the middle of that huge uphill hike day, um, he offered so many amenities. So um, he offered a full pilgrim's meal that evening that was included in on the price. It was a communal meal and he had a big, huge, long table going down the center of his dining hall. And then he had some other tables around the outside for overflow. But not only did he provide a wonderful meal because we were all super hungry when we got there, um, but he also came out, introduced himself, introduced his staff, which was very small, mostly family. But then he had each of us introduce ourselves and we had to say who we were, where we were from, what our inspiration was to even hike the Camino to begin with, and what other long distance hikes we've done, we have done in the past. That way, if we were somebody new, like I was that first year, and then I heard somebody down at the other end of the table saying that they had hiked that route three times, and that they were an experienced hiker and an experienced pilgrim, we knew who to go to afterwards. Or we would hear somebody say that they were from Kansas City in, in, in the United States, or you'd hear where they were from. And there was always something that stuck in your mind that, oh, that's so-and-so from California, that's so-and-so from Scotland. And, you know, just some little thing that would connect the name with the face and a memory. So that if I saw them three days or two weeks along on my journey, I would remember that I saw them my very first night in Orison and where they were from maybe, and maybe just a little bit of something about them. So that really helped us to connect and to what we call a pilgrim family. And six of the people that I met on that very first night, I have stayed in contact with and have done future hikes with those people from all over the world. So it's just a nice way to get started instead of being a stranger, becoming a family immediately. Yeah, it's it, it's fantastic. It, it, it's funny you should say about the people that you meet along the way and remembering them. That's exactly the same experience I had when I was backpacking um, many many years ago. That you remember, even though you have very brief interactions with a certain person, you remember them because you're in a um, in a place where you're. Um, and I'm not one for, for getting overly cheesy, et cetera, but you are in a place where you're creating a memory that you're going to, you know, that, that is going to stick with you. And you, the connections you make are really deep. Um, and I think that's so true. What I love best though, is that your host, 
I'm going to use host. I don't know if they call it that in the kind of the, the sort of the hiking hostel world, but they provided that environment for you to have that kind of experience. Um, and even though lots of our listeners will be Airbnb hosts or um, be listed on Verbo or any of the other channels and won't have the same kind of hiking big groups coming through, the idea that you try and make your space um, very applicable to the kind of guest that you know is going to be coming through and staying with you, I think it's a really, really good one to take away. I mean, Tyan, you must have that as well in the Katie Trail and that kind of area where you've got people cycling through. And do, do you do similar things to, to the things that Joette's been describing? I, I definitely focus on that target guest. But what I would like to ask Joette is how have you taken the um, experience of through hiking and walking, and this is total leading question, um, to what your newest um, business venture is that is a part of Happy Apples? Well, when I got home from the Camino, from my very first long distance hike, I wanted to give back to the community. So I was so thankful to all the people that had hosted me along the way. And on the Camino, those people are called hospitaleros, by the way. Um, a lot of them volunteers. A lot of them are people that just open their homes. So it's a wide variety, but they're all called hospitaleros. But I felt the need to give back. So I wanted to do something. Um, so first I opened a couple bedrooms in my own home for people traveling through. And that was quickly squashed out by some of my neighbors that did not want that activity in the neighborhood. So um, I had to accept that whether I wanted to or not. But then um, I decided to open a bunkhouse on the Katy Trail. Um, so the Katy Trail is a 240-ish mile rails to trail mostly biking trail, but we have some through hikers on it as well. And it worked out perfectly because I already had a house on the Katy Trail. Um, we bought an old farmhouse about 25 or 30 years ago to house some of our seasonal migrant workers that come in and help us with our busy season, with our cultivating season at the orchards. So they come in and help us pick apples and we need to house them. So we have that house on the Katy Trail. And it was strictly a workhouse for our workers and um, our orchard manager and I met and we decided this is something we can do. We can make it um, not only a workhouse, but also a bunkhouse for the Katy Trail traffic and for people coming into town for the Missouri winery scene, coming into town for weddings. Um, a lot more people are having weddings out in the country areas. So we can house those type of people. Um, I get a lot of people coming through that um, need a place to stay and they have pets. And a lot of hotels don't allow pets, but they allow this. So when I first had this Brainiac idea, um, I wasn't sure if I could pull it off. I wasn't even sure if it was a good idea, um, much less a great idea. So I talked to Tyann about it, who happens to have the two houses right next door to my bunkhouse. And Tyann really encouraged me. And I even went out of my way to ask her, why are you being so encouraging? Because this is just gonna be competition for your two guest houses. And she said, absolutely not. Everybody should take hold of this and embrace this. And we should welcome all different types of people to our area. We should have all different types of housing 
accommodations available to them. And she said something that I always think about um, when I hear of other people wanting to do the same thing, that rising tides raise all boats. So if we all jump in together, we all raise what's available in our small town of Marthasville, Missouri, um, it becomes a vacation destination. And it becomes the spot on the Katy Trail that has the best housing options for through cyclists, hikers, and vacationers. So Tyann definitely encouraged me. And it seems like every time I run into Tyann, I have a question for her. And I love it that she right away knows the best company to order locks from. She knows the best websites to go to um, to get all my stuff coordinated and streamlined into one spot. So she has the information I need, and she's made that process from being a traveler, staying in communal accommodations to actually opening up my own bunkhouse, just a much better, easier process. I, I will say there isn't anything that I have asked Tyann that I can think of that she hasn't had an answer to. <laughs> <laughs> and usually a really good answer, so it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, and so like the environment that you've created there, Joette, is it like, are you taking inspiration from what you'd experienced? Is that the way you've, you've created the bunkhouse, et cetera? Yes, yes. And I try to remember that each person coming into my bunkhouse has their own story and has their own reason for being there. And sometimes they just want a bed to sleep in and they want to get out the door the next morning. But sometimes they want a little bit more than that. So I try to offer things that children might enjoy. We put up two really cool disc swings from our big trees in the front yard. We have a couple fire pits for people that might want to just hang out outside and sit around a fire. Um, I have some good indoor spaces for people that just want to sit in an air-conditioned room and get cooled off for the night. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of good um, different varying spaces that different types of people can enjoy. Um, our backyard neighbors have chickens and they fill our fridge with eggs fresh from their chickens. So people can just look out the window and see where their chickens are coming from. Because when I was hiking the Camino, um, I wanted just some good old fashioned scrambled eggs, which were hard to find. And as a through hiker and as a through cyclist, that's not something you're gonna pack in your backpack or your panniers. And that's not something that you're gonna be able to just take with you. Um, so I try to think of what would they want? What would they need? And I try to put myself in their shoes of any different situation and, and try to accommodate that. That's what I love. You took the words out of my mouth. Put yourself in your guest's shoes. I was actually going to use the, the terminology, given that you've done a lot of hiking, walking the walk. Um, but it's it really is about that, isn't it? Like until it you do that, you really don't know. It is. And we don't know. We don't know. And I've got a great story about not knowing who's hiking and judging them. So when I was on my third long distance hike on the Camino Portuguese, it's the Portuguese Camino, and I was hiking with um, a bunch of ladies, six of us went together that we had met through different hiking groups in, our, in around St. Louis. And we were hiking and we kept seeing this group of 11 guys from Ireland and they were a rowdy bunch and they were having a good time. And, and then we would see them at a bus stop as we're hiking by and you know, our legs are sore, our feet are sore, but and we've got you know five more miles to go and they're at a bus stop. And then we see them 
as we're walking into the next town, they're already there having a beer and enjoying themselves. And we're like, what the heck? You guys took a bus? That's not how real through hikers do this. You know, you guys must not be real pilgrims. And then, you know, we would see them walking without their backpacks with just these tiny little um, string sacks with hardly, you know, just a water bottle in it. And so we were, we were hard judging. We were really judging these, these 11 guys from Ireland. And then finally, in Tui, um, a town called Tui, there was a big plaza in the center right outside of our albergue. And we were looking for a place to sit and they had extra room in their area. And they said, oh, join us. So we did and we got to know them and we asked them, so are you guys family or like, how did you get together? Are you a hiking group? It turns out that they're a support group for people that have had open heart surgery. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so we, you know, we're thinking that they're slacking because they take a bus every now and then, or because their backpack isn't quite as heavy as ours. When it turns out that they are all heart, um, heart surgery survivors, <laughs> heart attack survivors, heart disease survivors. And it's, you know, good for them for being there for walking at all. And we got to know them and really enjoy them and just really um, learn to respect their walk and not making our walk reflect yeah. on them. So that's just a good story of, of how we don't know why people are walking. Totally, totally. 11 Irish guys having a good time. Yeah, getting on a bus. Yeah. I, I would have thought exactly the same as you did. <laughs> um, very cool stories. Thank you, Joette. Um, I mean, anything else to add at this stage? Um, I don't think so. I would just encourage anyone wanting to stay in a communal space, wanting to stay at a place that offers a chance to get to know fellow travelers, to take that chance, to don't be afraid of the unknown and to embrace it and get to know fellow travelers. I like that. What about the, so that's the guest, but what about on the host side? What do you think there's, or I forget the word you use to describe the people who host in the, the hostels, but what, what's the one thing that you might tell them or advise them? Um, I think just to open your home, open your arms, open your space, and just go out of your way to make the people feel comfortable. Um, let them know what you expect up front so that they aren't put in awkward situations. Um, let them know, do you expect them to strip the beds at the end of their stay? Um, just little things like that. We do ask for our guests to do that because it helps keep the cost down on the housekeeping side. Mm -hmm. That way we can make their bed just a little bit more affordable for them. Um, and that's an easy step. Um, we ask them to wash their own dishes. They can use any dishes, anything that's in my kitchen, they can use, but we just ask them to to clean up after themselves and they have been more than happy to do it and i think that they thrive in an environment where there's not a lot of unknown where they know what the hosts expect and then that way they know what they can do wise words wise words joette thank you it's been a great um wow i don't know how long it's been it's been uh time's flown it's been a great discussion i've loved hearing the stories um it's taken me back a little bit to some backpacking days as well so thanks for reminding me of those um, and uh, thank you for being a guest. Thank you so much. And thank you for putting this podcast out there. I've enjoyed listening to all the episodes that have le led up to this one. And I hope you 
continue on with many, many more. Maybe you have a travel or hospitality story you'd like to share on the guest cast. If you do, head to touchday.com forward slash podcast and send us a brief outline of your story. And as always, remember to subscribe to the guest cast on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a five-star review and say hello on our social media at Touchday Welcome. This podcast was brought to you by Touchday Digital Guidebooks. Learn more about how Touchday can help make your guests happier at touchday.com.